When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, which as you know is the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. So we've got questions from our football insider subscribers that they sent in to have Mary Kay Cabot answer. And we start with talking about Julio Jones. One of our football insider subscribers came through for us and kicked us off with a Julio Jones question. Now, if you want to be one of our football insider subscribers and get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day written by a member of our browns reporting team and become one of our text subscribers which is where we get the questions for this pod you go to cleveland.com slash browns click the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up all right here we go our tuesday hey mary Kay edition of the orange and brown talk podcast We are off on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, let's get right to it because Ron from Walton Hills, keeping up with the news of the day, Julio Jones, whether he knew he was on the air or not, went on the air um, with Shannon Sharp and said he's pretty much done with the Falcons. You know, there's been talk that he's going to be traded. It seems like it's probably going to happen. I know there's reports out there that the Falcons don't want to do it. Ron from Walton Hills, Hey Mary Kay, I guess the big question is, What would you give up for Julio Jones? Well, you know what? First of all, I've seen the Browns connected to Julio Jones in the wake of of this situation, but I just can't see how they would do that. I mean, they're they're paying Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. $30, $31 million combined this year. So where are they going to come up with another $15 million to pay another receiver? I mean, when people talk about this, are they thinking that they're just going to like swap out Odell Beckham Jr. for for Julio Jones? And would you even do that? I mean, I I don't know if that is definitely uh, something that you would want to do. I don't know what it would take to get him, but I just don't see it. I, I think the Browns are really excited about Odell Beckham Jr. coming back. I think he gives them... Uh, the element that they don't have, that element of speed, just a dynamic receiver that can do so many things for them. Of course, Julio Jones is amazing, but right now I'm, I'm just not really feeling it for that. Yeah, I think the only case you could make would be, you know, if you were giving up Odell and Julio Jones has been healthier, he's been more productive. I mean, I've said this before, you need to be a little bit careful with that Falcons offense and numbers guys put up, but I think Julio Jones kind of, goes above and beyond that. I mean, it wasn't in 2018, he led the NFL in receiving yards. He had 1,300 yards uh, in 2019, almost 1,400 yards. And then last year, he only played nine games. But uh, I mean, other than last year, he's been pretty much a picture of health going back to 2014. I guess it's, would you swap Odell out for Julio? And what else would you give up in that instance? Yeah, I mean, that's probably what it would come down to, I would think. And I don't know if you'd have to to give up anything else. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really know that you would. I mean, I think that 
I've heard someone say that you could almost get Julio for a second round pick. If that were the case, then, you know, then that would be a pretty darn even swap, I would think. Yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I mean, Dan, what, I have to look up a few things, but what is his age at this point right now? He is 32 right now. He just turned 32 on February. There we go. Right. So I, I just don't know that you're going to do something like that for a 32-year-old receiver. As it stands, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. will be turning 29 this year. And that's when receivers start to kind of wind it down a little bit. When you start to turn 30 and 31 and 32, it starts to be the back nine. So I, I just don't see it. I think you'd rather have a 29-year-old Odell right now than a 32-year-old Julio, as you mentioned, providing that he would stay healthy. But he looks pretty good right now on social media. And I just don't see them wanting to upset the apple cart like this. It's, it's tough. I mean, I hate to look at a guy like Julio and say, nah, you don't make that trade. Because if we're talking about a team trying to win the Super Bowl, but we've talked so much about continuity and, and this team you know, bringing everybody back and so many mouths to feed and all of that, I'd make a call and see what it would take. You know, if I, if I could get Julio for like a second or third rounder, you'd really have to think about that. You really yeah. would. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to think about it, but, but from a salary structure standpoint, it would mess you up. You would not be able to keep Jarvis Odell and Julio. It would have to involve somehow getting Odell off the books, whether that be in another trade or, or whatever the case may be, but you're not going to keep three $15 million receivers on the roster. I might take a chance on Julio in that situation. This is a tough one. <laughs> this is a really tough one. I'm glad I'm not Andrew Barry, I guess, in, in this situation. You're ready to do it, Dan? You're ready to roll? It, with, with Julio? Yeah. I'd have to really consider it. I'd have okay. to really consider it. What about the, uh, let me look this up in terms of the contract. Okay. You're looking at a cap hit this year of 20, 20, it looks like 23 million. Yeah. But some of that is in terms of signing bonus that you don't have to pay. Yeah. So you're, you're really looking at a more like a $15.3 million. If you were to trade for him, you're not going to have to add on. You'd probably be somewhere more like in the $17 million or 15 to $17 million, depending on how the bonuses shake out. Uh, but you wouldn't really be paying the $5 million signing bonus proration. Then you're looking at another $11.5 million next year. Yeah, you, you could do it. I mean, you could do it from the standpoint of clearing if you cleared the cap space. But I mean, you, you would have to agree with me that you're not going to keep all three of those guys, right? No, no, you couldn't keep all three of them. And I'm just checking these injuries. Uh, so it's looking like a lot of hamstring stuff, which is concerning Ham, hamstring stuff last year that they kept him out of the lineup. But again, I, I don't know. This is a guy that has, he has been healthy prior to last year. You're looking at the lowest amount of games played is 14 back in 2016. You got to go all the way back to 2013 when he only played five games. After that, from 2014 through 2019, this is a guy that essentially played outside of one year, 15 or 16 games every season. And that one year that he, he didn't, he played 14 games. You know, you, you'd have to feel good about him coming back after last year only playing nine games 
if we're going to compare him with Odell Beckham Jr., that we're talking about a guy in Odell who has had his own injury struggles as well. Yeah, that is true. I mean, the thing about Odell that does concern me from an injury standpoint is, and we've talked about this on this pod before, ever since Brian Body Calhoun injured his ankle in that preseason game in what was it, 2016? Ever since that happened, he really hasn't been the same. Uh, he missed the rest of that season. Uh, with a broken ankle. And then it's just kind of been one thing after another after that. And so, yeah, I do think that, you know, that he is still is an injury risk because once you start to get a bunch of surgeries that since then he's had ankle surgery, core muscle surgery, and torn ACL surgery. Once you start to pile up the surgeries, you start to get those residual injuries in the subsequent years. So, Hopefully the worst is be hopefully for the Browns, the worst is behind Odell, but you're right. There, there is an injury picture here. It also is the reason why some teams probably are reluctant to trade for him. You know, do you really want to trade for a, whatever, 14, $15 million receiver coming off of a torn ACL? So even if they wanted to do something like this, not sure they'd be able to pull it off. Look, a great topic given to us from uh, Julio Jones and Shannon Sharp today. So we appreciate it. And we appreciate Ron for leading us off with, with that question. Because now we got to talk OTAs, Mary Kay, which is always a, a fun topic. So let's start with Shannon from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Hey, Mary Kay, I've seen you write recently about the Browns possibly falling behind other teams by not having the same turnout for OTAs. Do you feel this is the case after the year they had last year and the practice they've now had in preparing for the season, the way they're doing it right now? And if so, well, this, this kind of changes, but why has the coaching staff not worked on concessions to get some of the work done on the grass as other teams have done? So, I mean, let's just start here. Where are the Browns as far as OTAs and minicamp are concerned as we're recording this on Monday at like five o'clock? Okay. Yeah. Let's reset that. Cause it gets so confusing. Right. Okay. So this week starts phase three of the voluntary off-season program. What was supposed to happen this week were three on-field OTA practices, which generally would have consisted of the whole football team. Then you have three practices next week, three or four next week, and three the following week for a total of 10 OTA practices in phase three, followed then by the mandatory minicamp, which for the Browns is set for June 15th through the 17th. As we all know, the Browns were one of about 21 teams that collectively decided they were going to skip voluntary in-person OTAs at, upon the advice of the NFLPA and its president, J.C. Treader. Why did they want to do that? In the name of keeping their players safe and healthy amid an ongoing pandemic and because they were able to make it all the way through 16 games and playoffs last year, crowning a Super Bowl champion, with having a completely virtual offseason. Missed time injuries were down 23%. Concussions were down 30%. And the NFLPA is trying to say, let's do this again, guys. Let's get through the season healthy instead of knocking ourselves out in May. So that was going to be the plan. But then you had the Jawan James incident, the tackle for the Denver Broncos, who injured himself, tore an Achilles in an off-season workout. The Broncos decided to cut him and not pay him the $10 million he was owed, which of course scared the crap 
out of a lot of players. I mean, it did. It just scared the heck out of a bunch of players. It was really bad timing for what the NFLPA was trying to do. But they kept sending that message out there that, look, this is the right thing to do for everybody. And as JC pointed out, there's 23 or 29 weeks of an offseason and only nine weeks of an offseason program. Guys are working out on their own 20 other weeks of the year. So their point was, you know, this kind of stuff is just going to happen naturally. What's happening with the Browns right now, this first week of OTAs, while a lot of other teams have decided to kind of break their own rule of, hey, we're going to skip these OTAs, a lot of other teams have come in and they're doing that. Teams like the Chiefs, and I don't, I don't think the Chiefs were one of the teams that, that said they weren't going to do it. But there are a number of teams that said they were going to skip OTAs and they have gone the other way and now they're in OTAs. The Chiefs had 81 players participating in phase two of OTAs or of the offseason program last week while the Browns were all virtual. And even though I understand where the NFLPA is coming from and I understand what J.C. Treader is saying, And I think it would have been nice if they could have all stuck together and done the same thing. When you have your week one opponent, who also, by the way, beat you in the AFC divisional playoffs and went on to the Super Bowl, when you have 81 of those guys in getting ready for the season and the Browns are not on the field getting ready for the season, I just don't see how that doesn't put the Browns behind the eight ball. I I just can't see how it doesn't. I'm not saying right or wrong in terms of what the NFLPA is trying to do. I do get it. But when many of the teams are not doing that, it makes it hard for the teams that want to adhere to that to do it. And the Browns starting center just so happens to be the president of the NFLPA, which adds a whole other layer to this whole entire thing. So basically, here's where they stand right now. And I'll try to make this as simple as I possibly can. They're doing very light on-field work this week, not the OTAs as we know them. In fact, there's such, there's such light workouts that we're not even invited out. And most of what they're doing meeting-wise is still virtual this week. So essentially, they're not really doing OTAs this week. What they hope to do is OTAs in each of the next two weeks. And what does that consist of? You know, it, you can do seven-on-sevens. You go through at a walk-through pace. They're not going to be doing – it's non-contact. But they're not going to be doing the, you know, the 11-11-on-11s like we're used to seeing that at this time of year teams have negotiated less intense workouts including the cleveland browns each of the next two weeks they should be on the on the field for some otas maybe some of the guy maybe some of the veterans like the jarvises and the bakers and the odells will show up maybe they'll all show up maybe half of them will show up we don't really know yet and i don't think we will know the answer to that until we get to next week and we're allowed to go out there and watch one of these practices And we probably will only see one of them next week and one of them the following week. Now, when I did an interview with Andrew Billings on Friday, uh, he did tell me, this was an exclusive interview that I had with him over the phone. He did tell me that the players are trying to stick together. The coaching staff is trying to stick together. They're all wanting to present a united front. They do not want to let these OTAs divide them as a team. They know how important it is to stick together. They stuck together through thick and thin last year. So they don't want this to be a divisive thing. They want to come up with something that works for everyone. No judgment how anyone wants to handle it. That's where it stands. So I think one of the key points here, 
And this was something as I was reading through these questions that I thought was worth bringing up. So this negotiation, right? You know, and that's what this was, right? This was the union negotiating. This is the league taking a hard stance. But I think the end game on both sides, I I mean, I'm sure that the union would love it if, you know, the NFL said, yeah, we're going to do everything virtual forever. And you guys don't have to come in in the spring. I'm sure that's what they would have loved, but that was never going to happen. I do think what we're seeing, though, is kind of a pulling back of what they do in OTAs and minicamp to maybe more what they had in mind when they redid everything back in 2011. I mean, I can tell you, I, I mean, I can say this, having been out there for some OTAs and minicamps, there have been times when I've kind of just out of curiosity gone back to the CBA and been like, are they allowed to do what we just watched them do? And there were, I, I mean, I never saw anything that like violated the rules, but it was very, some, I think some of these practices were kind of very much right on the line, especially when you got into 11 on 11 stuff. I suppose if the NFLPA can kind of come out of this with like, hey, we've we've kind of dialed it back to what we envisioned back when this whole thing, when we redid the offseason in twenty in the twenty eleven CBA, they're going to be a little closer to that than kind of what we were seeing in recent years, where it was getting more physical. They weren't breaking rules that I can remember, but it was getting more physical. Right, you're you're exactly right. When you have players uh, that are at this level of peak efficiency. And just the, you know, the best athletes in the world running full speed with no pads on. And one of them is going up for the ball and the other one's supposed to knock it away. And you're going to have some incidental contact, even though these are supposed to be non-contact practices. And like you said, nobody tried to violate the rules, but you find guys down on the ground when you just don't expect them to be right. I mean, it's just, it just happens. And that's what they're trying to eliminate. And now if they can kind of find that middle ground where everybody can feel comfortable with these things, then I think that's where they want to get to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, is is JC going to show up? I mean, I almost think that he kind of has to take a stand and not show up. He, He already said, he told Monday morning quarterback last week that he wasn't going to show up. And he thought most of the other Browns veterans would hold firm and also not show up. But things have changed since then. And the Browns have negotiated with the coaches. Another thing that Andrew Billings mentioned to me was that we're going to keep this in-house, what we're trying to do. Well, what they don't realize maybe is that well, we're going to be out there next week. So you can't really keep it in-house if we're going to be out there watching practice. But for the most part, they, they want to kind of close ranks a little bit and really stick together and make a decision that works for everyone. And then we'll all find out on this, you know, at the same time what the plan is going to be. Okay, so you've mentioned JC a couple times, and we got two questions about this. One came from Tyson, and then this one, Tyson had another one too, so I'll give him credit for a different one. So this one comes from Bill DeShirko in Centerville, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, I don't have a problem with the Players Union, but if loyalty to JC Treader is putting the team behind the competition, doesn't the team need to take that into consideration for the roster next year? That is a very complicated, very loaded question from Bill. Does it matter? I mean, this is something that even if JC weren't on the roster, it would still be an issue, I think. But it does get ratcheted up because of what you just said. The union president is a part of the roster. Mm -hmm. Is that something the Browns would consider? That's not going to be a factor. The Browns are not going to make a roster decision on their starting center based on the fact 
that they're worried that guys feel like they have to follow his lead and not show up for OTAs. I really don't see that happening. There is going to, going to come a point uh, over the next few years where it will be time to transition to another center. They're not there this year. And I just don't think that they're going to make decisions like that. I think this is a team that can communicate and negotiate. And I think that's what they will do. Kevin Stavansky does a great job of talking to his players, of listening to his players. So what's going on right now is the leadership council of the Cleveland Browns, are, they are talking to the coaches. They are talking directly to Kevin Stefanski. They're probably talking to Andrew Barry, and they're trying to come up with something that works for everybody and that everybody can feel comfortable with. And my guess is that there will be a lot of players there over the next couple of weeks and that the ones that aren't there, no judgment shall be passed. They're going to be sticking to, you know, the decision that they made. And some guys will come in and some guys won't. And I, I don't see them making a roster decision based on JC trying to lead the players and keep them safe and healthy. Right. And as open-minded as this Browns organization is, you know, I'm sure that they can respect what JC is trying to do. And mm -hmm. frankly, look, if a bunch of Ivy league guys, including JC can't sit down and figure this out, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll be able to do that. Okay. Let's take a break. And then we had some roster questions and then some more sort of just random questions as well. We'll get to those on the other side here. Back on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay folks are already looking ahead to that 53 man roster. We are months and months away from the Browns making some of these decisions, but we'll start here. Mark Nosen in South Euclid, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, what's the likelihood of Mac Wilson making the team as a starter for the 2021 season? And this is relevant because the Browns added some linebackers this offseason. And not only did they add linebackers, but they added some weak side linebackers. That is where Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa is set to play and I believe start. That will probably happen fairly early on. It's a very similar position to the one that Anthony Walker also plays. So I think they're getting crowded at the position. Tony Fields, who they kind of have high hopes for, uh, even though he was a later round pick, fifth round pick, you know, he's someone that also plays a very similar spot. So I do think that Mac Wilson is going to have to take his game up a notch. He graded out in the 30s, according to Pro Football Focus. And that's not high enough. I mean, this, a starting grade is around a 70. Uh, so he was way, way down there. And he, he is, he's going to have to pick up his game in, in order to make the team. And that's just the reality, reality of the situation. I think most of the other guys that we know their names fairly well are probably going to be pretty safe. I think Sione Takitaki is safe by virtue of the fact that he's a really good run defender and you need some guys that do that. Uh, so I, I think he's going to be okay. Uh, I can't say for sure, but I think out, out of all those guys that, that we're wondering about, the one that, that is in the forefront of my mind the most is Mac. Okay, Willard Moser from Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mary Kay, with so much talent on the Browns roster, it might be difficult to sneak players onto the practice squad. Do you expect Andrew Barry to be able to trade a couple Browns players on the final cup bubble for day three draft picks? And he's thinking offensive line specifically. But, I mean, Mary Kay, we've talked about this plenty. He's been asked about it in press conferences. Andrew Barry is not going to be shy about using that trade market. And, you know, with the, the preseason schedule this year, I think there's actually more time between the final preseason game and cutdown day 
there might be some time for this team to sit down and make some of those decisions and start making phone calls if they'd rather do that instead of just cutting a guy. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And if you look uh, to last year, uh, that is around when when he got Ronnie Harrison for a fifth-round pick on September 3rd, I believe it was. So Andrew will be aggressive in that way. And, and you're right, it, it is going to be – hard to keep some of these guys. And, and there are some guys that, you know, that you wonder about, I mean, how do you keep around a Marvin Wilson who they, they gave extra money to as an undrafted rookie, but you know, they're going to want to keep him. Uh, so they'll, they'll find a way to keep him. Uh, there are a number of guys in that category. And so something's going to have to give, and I don't know how they're going to work it out, but yeah, I would, I would expect that Andrew will be working those phones and, and trying to make some of those trades. Yeah, I'm looking up important dates here just to see when, if they've figured out when that actual cut down to 53 is going to be. But the last preseason game this year is on a Sunday, August 29th. So if it's still that weekend that it's normally been, you're going to have some time. It's not going to be that play on a Thursday night, and then you've got to start making decisions over the next 48 hours on when to cut down your roster. So that's going to be an advantage for GMs who maybe want to trade guys. And because there's a preseason this year, that means guys are getting tape put down in these preseason games. So other GMs are getting a look at them and other you know scouts are getting a look at them. So there would be some real interest in some of these guys if the Browns are going to move on. And uh, the other thing to consider when you have those preseason games is the fact that you are going to also have some injuries and some guys are going to end up on, injured reserve and that's going to open up some roster spots for other guys so that's going to be another way that that you're going to be able to manage your initial 53-man roster is that there are a couple guys that are going to end up on IR just by virtue of going out there and trying to play in these preseason games yeah it looks like September 4th is supposed to be that day so there, there is going to be that time there so that should be interesting Okay, let's get to a few of these kind of, I call them grab bag questions. They were kind of all over the place. So Tyson from Alliance leads us off. Hey, Mary Kay, am I wrong to think playing the Chiefs as the first game is an advantage because it's a new defense, possibly nine new starters, and the team can work on game-specific packages in training camp practices, and the Chiefs would have no film for preparation? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a very, very interesting point. You're right about that. They don't know exactly uh, what they're going to expect. So, you know, I, th- I think there is definitely something to be said for that. And that is going to be one of the key aspects of this defense this year is it's going to be those, you know, it's going to be those mismatches. It's going to be wondering where Malik Jackson is lining up and it's going to be wondering where Grant Delpit is and where is JOK. I keep calling it the catch me if you can defense that they're going to have a lot of moving parts and you're right. The chiefs will not know what to prepare for. And I know what they'll do. They'll do exactly what they're going to say they're going to do. And that is we're going to do our thing. We're going to run our offense. We're going to run our scheme and we're, we're going to, we're not going to tailor what we were going to do to what we think they're going to do is what I would guess if I were Andy Reid. In addition to that, Andy Reid always comes up with new wrinkles himself. 
So while the Browns will be looking at film from the, the divisional playoff game, of course, and from the Super Bowl and other things, the Chiefs will not stand pat. They will be devising their own new wrinkles for the Cleveland Browns. So while they, while the Browns might have the edge and that the Chiefs don't know them at all, defensively, uh, the Chiefs are, are not going to stand pat and just run everything the Browns have seen. I, I personally think the advantage for the Browns is it's the first game of the season. So whatever happens, happens. And if these two teams meet again, they're going to be, especially the Browns, they're going to have a, a much better feel for kind of who they are and what they do. So obviously you want to go to Kansas city, win that game and make that statement. But if you don't, your season's not over. You still have at least what we used to think was a full season ahead of you full 16 games. So there, there's life after that game. If, if things just don't happen to go your way, Chris from Chicago. Hey, Mary Kay, do the returning players seem to have a similar mindset that they had at this point last year, or has that changed with last year's success and increased expectations for the season? You know, I, I think everybody, I think the expectations have been raised. The bar has been raised. And I think these players now know what they're capable of. Now they have a defense that can match that offense. And I think they expect bigger things uh, than what they were able to accomplish last year. I don't think they were satisfied with bowing out in the divisional round. I think they want to obviously go all the way to the Super Bowl. And the expectation is that they are going to go deeper into the playoffs than they went last year. I think they have the confidence going in that they, they know they can do it. And I think they probably realize in some ways they haven't even scratched the surface with what they can do. We've talked about this so many times about this offense. There's so much more that you can do with this group of talent than they were able to do last year, because there's only so much you can do when a pandemic hits and you don't have a training camp or OTAs or any of those kinds of things, even though they don't have in person necessarily all the OTAs that they normally would have this year. They're still so far ahead of the game by the fact that these offensive players already know the offense. All they have to do is build on last year. And I think the defensive guys will pick it up very quickly. The things that Joe Woods is trying to do. These are guys are really super smart and, and they're going to, they're going to have themselves ready to play. So I think the expectations are sky high and I think it's going to be a darn good season. Well, speaking of that, and we'll wrap it with this one, Daniel from Moreland Hills. Hey, Mary Kay, the difference between a Browns Super Bowl and missing the playoffs may come down to injuries. Is it all pure luck? How much does the coaching and training team impact the chance of major injuries? Or is it player age, number of previous injuries? Is there actual data? And I think that's an interesting question because, yeah, there, there is data that they use, right? I mean, this is going all the way back. There is a lot of data that they use to try to, I don't know about predict injuries, but at least protect players and the Browns, as we know, are a very data-driven organization to begin with. They really are. I mean, they have so much data that you, you can't even imagine how much exercise and workout data they have. I mean, they, they know everything all the way down to what happens if you stretch for this long before a practice. I mean, it is so precise, the exercise analytics that they have. I actually think it would, it would make a good story someday to kind of dig into it, but they use it. They use it a lot. You know, sometimes there's just not anything that you can do or predict. I mean, Grant Delpit, we're out there watching practice and before 
I mean, in the in individual drills, we're still figuring out where we want to stand to watch practice that day. He's being carted off with a ruptured Achilles. That was a non-contact injury. There's certain things that you can't really do anything about, but there are some, some indications of a guy that will continue to be injured if he was injured this many times in the past. For instance, they know that Denzel Ward is usually going to miss about three games a season and they plan for that. I mean, that's built in, you know, that's one of the reasons why they have basically three outside starting cornerbacks right now. They know they're going to need all of them. Uh, so yeah, they've got the numbers and the numbers are mind boggling and they use them very thoroughly. And, and they, they do a lot of tracking as well to kind of monitor soft tissue injuries. You know, I mean, if, if you're looking for an example of all the places to go back and look, go back to hard knocks a few years ago and the, the Todd Haley, Hugh Jackson dust up started because in part, because the trainer or whoever it was basically said, you know, this guy's to a point where he needs a day off because they track this stuff and they, they know sort of, okay, this guy's gone this many days. He's at this type of risk to maybe pull a hamstring or pull a quote, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the sort of thing that they're able to track now. And it's just getting more and more advanced with GPS data and just all the, all the information they have and the, the way they're able to track players. So you can't really plan for the catastrophic injuries, you know, the torn ACLs, the Achilles, things like that. But uh, who knows? Maybe you can, maybe you can sort of predict some of that stuff even, I don't know, but for sure they have all sorts of, of data that they're looking at when it comes to a lot of the soft tissue stuff, especially with a guy like Denzel. I'm sure they have an insane amount of data that's helping them keep a guy like Denzel on the field when it comes to the soft tissue injuries. Yeah. I mean, there are algorithms for this and that and everything that you could possibly think of, you know, they have brilliant exercise scientists that, that deal with this. I mean, think about this, you know, how analytics driven they are for everything else. That's how detailed they are for the injury piece of it as well. And of course, things change when you don't have OTAs or you don't have mini camp. Like last year, everything kind of just, they were flying by the seat of their pants a little bit because they, they didn't have all those numbers and all that stuff for preseason games and, and those kinds of things. But rest assured, uh, they are at the forefront of exercise analytics and they're doing everything they possibly can to get through the season healthy. And most of their guys for the, you know, a lot of their guys for the most part did pretty well last year. You know, I mean, they didn't get hit as bad as a lot of other teams did. You do need luck. You absolutely do need luck uh, to, to go all the way and they will need it again this year. I would be curious just thinking back to, you know, if they have, I'm sure there's information out there that tells them when a guy is as crazy as it sounds when like, you know, if a player has been overused too much, maybe that's when an Achilles injury can happen, something mm-hmm. like that. Now, in the case of, of a guy like Grant Delpit, a freak injury, right? A freak moment, probably with Olivier Vernon too. But I'm sure that there is information and data out there just talking about overuse injuries and when when a player is more at risk to maybe suffer an injury like that even, not just the soft tissue stuff. Well, you know, one of the things that I always seem to notice, and I wonder what the analytics on it is, but those darn high ankle sprains often seem to lead to a serious leg injury of some sort. Grant Delpit in his final year at LSU 
missed a significant chunk of time with a high ankle sprain. And then he comes in and he ruptures the Achilles tendon the next year. So I, I don't know what the, what the analytics are on that, but it just seems to me in my mind, there is a correlation with serious or high ankle sprains and subsequent leg injuries that, that proved to be somewhat serious. So there we go. Another great batch of Hey Mary Kay questions from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to get involved in Football Insider, you just have to go to cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get your information and get signed up. And of course, make sure you are subscribed to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, some service I have no idea exists. Wherever you listen, make sure you are subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. From Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.